Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and we're delighted to have you with us for today's episode of The Great America Show. There was a lot of talk during the midterm election campaigns about disinformation, psyops, misinformation, and propaganda campaigns, and rightly so. Our government, the Marxist Dems, and the deep state, all are primary originators of the negative noise and false messaging aimed straight at the American people. And all of that noise obfuscating what should be in clear view, that we have a national crisis of reliable information. Where are the facts? It seems we can't even get answers to what should be basic, simple questions. No politics, just facts. Questions like six million illegal immigrants have entered the country in 2021 and two. Where are they? Where do they live and how? What are they doing? Are they working? Are they on welfare? Are they mostly male or female, skilled or unskilled, educated or not? Families are single adults. We don't know because the federal government refuses to answer those simple questions and almost any other question that would be material to understanding the impact of our open southern border. And speaking of our open southern border, what is the federal government doing about more than 100,000 fentanyl deaths each year? And our Marxist dim government can't be trusted anyway, even if they were disposed to answer mere citizens who once had a right to know. But the Marxist dims ignore our right to know, just as they do so many of our rights. Their rollback of our Constitution is pernicious, it's persistent, and it's been underway since the Obama administration. We're now in the throes of the fundamental transformation of America that Obama promised back in 2008. The Obama transformation evident in nearly all our public institutions. Our courts that are almost as corrupt as the FBI and the Department of Justice. Our Marxist dim aligned and directed media that are owned and operated by large multinational corporations whose leftward shift has been breathtaking. And that national leftist media isn't interested in questioning government and corporations. They're interested only in driving their messaging for their corporate masters, in preserving their masters' ideological and economic narratives. In this new era of alienation and polarization, we're left with an electoral system that few citizens trust and most question. We have a president, obviously impaired, and all of Washington and the national media behave as if he weren't losing both himself and his remarks in public appearances. To take up all of this and more, our guest today is classicist, military historian, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, fellow at Hillsdale College, author and podcaster on the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor, great to have you with us. Thanks for being here on The Great America Show. Let's start with what do you think is the hallmark of this, this uncertain era we're in? 
the left, the Marxist stems, in open conflict with the American way. Our families, our electoral system is in rubble. What do you make of all these troubled times? Well, I, I think we on the conservative or traditional side kind of underestimate the opposition. We think there's still Democrats that play within the parameters that we're accustomed to, and they don't. They're neo-socialists, really revolutionaries. And sometimes we get a glimpse of it when they want to pack the court or in the filibuster or destroy the electoral college or um, they radically change the election so that election day is just a construct. And instead of 30% absentee ballots, now we have 70% of what we call now mail-in or early voting. And that was really the biggest revolution in my, my life that we've rendered election day, election night into nothingness. And they've mastered that along with their mastery of technology and Silicon Valley help. And uh, the Republicans are just bewildered by it. They have no response. They don't know anything about vote harvesting or vote curing or third party harvesting. And so that's that has really been uh, a striking development. But they are trying, they being the left wants to refashion the past whether that's statue toppling or name changing or institution destroying. And then in the present, they can, by changing the past, they want to control the future and they want to and convince us that America's always been a bad place. It's worse now than it ever was. And only they can save us by radically renouncing American traditions and customs and they're intent on doing it. And until we find a, a an effective response to that and a unified response, I think they're going to make progress as they did in the mid, I mean, they avoided a historic tsunami, which should have occurred. Uh, and any, any first president loses 20 seats and more if he's under 40 or at 40%. We didn't, we didn't achieve that. We didn't take the Senate back. We, they usually use a couple of seats in the Senate. They didn't do that. And this was a particularly inept administration with a terrible record, and yet we weren't able to capitalize on it. And now the first thing that happens is the RNC chair, Ronna McDaniel, seeks a re-election. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, who is the last, I, I can't imagine what label would fit him less well than, than conservative, wants to be Speaker of the House. Uh, and it seems that the the electorate, uh, having sent in the largest popular vote uh, in some time in a midterm election, uh, are going to be disappointed because the people they elected are going to choose a liberal Republican to be a leader if all things uh, unfold as, as it appears now. How, yeah, uh, I think, how I can think we, so. How can we move forward with a party that it is so inept and facile? Well... The, of the three that, that are prominent, I mean, I, I like Ms. McDaniel, but if you're in charge of, of the RNC and you have a historic missed opportunity, then you resign and you let somebody come in that has different ideas, different strategies, different levels of energy. And that's just, that's not a personal attack on her. That's just logic. Kevin McCarthy, I think, uh, reacts to this, the environment around him and at this late date, I don't know how you get another speaker other than him, because there are no viable other candidates, but he will become more conservative if there's other conservative people and he feels that that's the trend. And 
So if you get a very conservative RNC chairman, and I, you know Mitch McConnell is not conservative, and he's got a lot of vulnerabilities, and he, I think he missed historic opportunities. He had a huge campaign chest. He he allotted funds basically on the principle: Well, this candidate, if this candidate should win, will he support my leadership role? If he doesn't, then I'm either going to delay funding to the last minute or not fund him at all. And that was intolerable in a close and important race like this. So I think, and yet I, I don't see any viable means right now in the Senate. They only have about 11 or 12 votes to remove him as party leader. And so until we get a radical new leadership, I don't think you're going to have the type of energy and organization uh, that the the Democrats have. I mean, they're they're ruthless. They don't have the candidates. The candidates, whether it's Fetterman or Biden or Harris, and that's why you alluded to they lose in the ag aggregate number of votes. But boy, when you put Silicon Valley money into pre-selected -sele pre precincts and you change the very mechanism in which we vote. To an, an unaudited, uncertified mail-in procedure, and you've got you outspend three to one, and the opposition has no answer to that. I, I, I thought that after 2018 and 2020, the Republicans would have an answer, either to join them and vote harvest or mail-in, or to outlaw it in key states, but they didn't either, and so I think we're. We're in this situation, and it's, it's not it's not unusual, Lou, that the Jacobins in France or the Bolsheviks uh, or the, the hardcore Maoists after World War II and those Chinese civil wars, the minority party that's more disciplined and more zealous and more ruthless often is able to take power over the majority that doesn't believe it can happen here. And I, I don't think I think people are still stunned. They, they think, wow. I don't understand transgenderism. I, I live and let live. I don't care what a person does in his bedroom, but I just don't understand this effort to go into the schools and have drag queen show. What is this? Or they, they have the attitude of, surely if you hit somebody over the head with an ax or something and you're, you're gonna stay in jail for many years, I don't understand why they're getting out. So they're baffled by the extremity of where the left has gone and they haven't regrouped, they haven't reacted yet. It's like a shock attack, and they're they're bewildered. They're deer in the headlights. And I believe at the at the local level, you see greater response than at the national. That is, yes. school boards are suddenly aware of the uh, the impetus for parental rights, and parents are reasserting themselves in our public school systems, which is, uh, to me at least, uh, reassuring that there's still enough energy. Uh, in the communities, uh, the local communities, to to care about public schools, which I believe are the are the great equalizer in our society, and uh, and has been uh, throughout our history, I believe. And, uh, You're absolutely right, and we saw that during the Obama administration, where he was elected and then reelected, but in the process, he lost 1,100 state. Uh, offices and regional and local offices. So it was a disaster for the Democratic Party on the non-presidential level. But something's wrong with our national leadership. We haven't won 51% uh, of the votes since George H.W. Bush beat the caucus in 1988. And I think we've lost six out of the last seven popular votes. But at the local level, we're doing very well. And we're doing well politically. 
We're doing well culturally, as we see with this red state attraction that's draining people from the blue states. Um, so that it, we have the paradigm down right at the state level, and we're doing pretty well. Not as well as we maybe would like to do, but pretty well. But not, we're, we've been disastrous at the national level in, in the Senate and the presidency and, and often in the House. The, the, national, the national party is sclerotic. Uh, it, as we look at uh, Kevin McCarthy for speaker, and by the way, I find him, a, he's a, a, a likable fellow. Yeah. Uh, I, I like him. I don't like Kevin McCarthy. Is it, I mean, Kevin uh, Mitch McConnell, I should say. Yeah. Kevin McCarthy, I do like, and, but he has been utterly inept. Uh, and ideologically to the left of uh, where I want our, a leader to be. They, they simply are playing follow the leader. Uh, John Banner brings in Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan brings in Kevin McCarthy. And the rhinoism hardens uh, with each succession. Uh, and, and we've got to stop this. And, and Mitch McConnell has been in place without a new idea for so long. It, it's hard to figure you it is. It is. Especially because we have people, let's say, take the Senate. We have Ted Cruz or Rick Scott or people, Josh Hall. We have people who are conservative, not only conservative, but they're very talented and they really understand the left wing mind. And in the House, I think he's a good friend of mine because he's a neighbor. But I think it was tragic that Devin Nunes went into the private sector at just the moment. You know, he would have been chairman of the Ways and Means Committee. He was scheduled and he was a fighter and he understood the left wing mind and he was a, a rock solid conservative. And so we, we need more people like that. And I think he would have been in a top leadership role. It would have really made a difference. But I know he had other responsibilities, but uh, we're not getting the young upstart conservative uh, non-orthodox uh, mavericks into positions of power. And that's the problem. And part of it's the left, because I think a lot of the people in Washington react to this demonization campaign from the left-wing media that suggests any of our truly conservative leaders are insurrectionist or racist or et cetera, et cetera. And then that our party leadership then reacts to that, said, oh, no, 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 don't worry. We won't appoint that person. That person's not the Republican Party. And it, it works. It's a very strategically effective way that the left does that. It, it picks our leaders almost. Exactly. And uh, and the effect is uh, Kevin McCarthy becomes speaker. The effect is Mitch McConnell retains power. And uh, Jim Jordan, James Comer, who could be extraordinary, I think, have the capacity to be extraordinary conservative leaders, uh, are they have a... Uh, a, a second a secondary role which is important the chairman of the judiciary chairman of oversight but i'm afraid we're going to see a replication uh, of 2018 when we saw the conservatives and the republicans talk big about election uh, investigations but then we watched as it turned out to be nothing more than uh, political performance art and theater uh, without any accomplishment, whether it be the Benghazi hearings, whether it be Jason Chaffetz uh, at Oversight uh, as a successor. It goes on and on, and nothing happens. Yeah, I, it, it, it's really a tragedy because, as you know, the Senate has a little bit more subpoena power. And uh, had we 
had we taken the Senate, at least in a couple of cases, Rand Paul, for example, would have really, I think, exposed Anthony Fauci and, and had those redacted emails and a lot of information would have been known. And I think they could have gone in and had Christopher Ray in executive session tell us how many FBI informants and what were they were doing on January 6th, things like that. And I'm not sure the House can do that with the leadership they have. Uh, but we'll see. I think it was Kevin McCarthy did a very good thing the other day when he said, you know what, historically, the minority party nominations to committee memberships are always respected by the speaker. But since Nancy Pelosi violated that age old canon, I'm going to do the same thing. And we're not going to have uh, Adam Schiff or Swalwell or some of the squad on particular members. And he, he stuck to that, but he needs to do more of that because unfortunately the left uh, feels that we play by the Marcus of Queensbury rules and we lose nobly and they win ugly. And, and at, at some point we have to conclude, I think as well, that the Republican party just is bereft of of real fire, uh, real purpose nationally, uh, and irrespective of the sort of uh, dead documents they produce from time to time about aspirations and what they will deliver to the public, it's meaningless because there is no identity for the party, there is no uh, uniformity to it, and whereas the Republicans have plenty of rhinos, Republicans in name only, the Democrats don't have any dinos. They are no. in, in lockstep. Well, they have they have they enforce a Nancy Pelosi enforce a vicious uh, unity and orthodoxy on all of her members, no matter what. And she was ruthless in doing that. And they had enormous. She ruled even with a seven or six or seven to eight, depending on the vacancies uh, margin, as if she had forty seats in the House. She got almost everything she wanted and much more effective than the Democratic Senate in a way. But we don't do that. But the irony is that on the local, regional, state level, the Republicans did get, oh, four or five million more votes in this midterm, and they have widened the party and so that they're getting 45% of the Mexican-American vote in some places, and that's unusual, and maybe 15% of black males. Asians are starting to go back a little bit to the Republican Party. They brought back the old white working class Reagan voter that had sat out the McCain and Romney uh, candidacies. So there was there's elements to the MAGA agenda that Trump created that were very effective and they're still there. They just need they just need leadership at the top. They the philosophy, the the ideology of America first, uh, make America great again, does it hold as much power, do you believe, for the Republican Party and its uh, potential in 2024 uh, as it did, uh, for example, in 2016? Your thoughts about that, and obviously I'm relating that yeah. to, the, to the Trump candidacy as well. Yeah. Well, I think you're right about that. Not on the issues as you intone. I mean, the issues are there. When you look at the failures of the Biden administration, a mega corrective is the only corrective. Close the border. We know what happens when you don't do that. And energy self-sufficiency is a corrective to draining the strategic petroleum reserve. And 
tough on crime and getting tough with China, all of, and fair trade rather than just free trade. Everybody understands that. Um, maybe we need more physical discipline that we didn't have under Trump, but that was during pop, pop, partly because of the he was convinced because of the COVID mess to sort of open up this cash bigots. But nevertheless, that MAGA agenda is stronger and more resonant than ever. I think the problem is, though, that Donald Trump being an outsider and being almost a revolutionary, counter-revolutionary, had no margin of error. We saw that with the Mueller investigation, the two impeachments, impeach him as a private citizen, the more lago rate. And that's the reality. And that means he has to have absolute discipline. And he, and by that, I mean, in the right on the edge of the midterms, it's not strategically wise to attack Ron DeSantis. Not that he won't have to do it. At, you know, that's a fair play, but not right before the midterms. And maybe, uh, you know, if you're Barack Obama and you take a picture with Farrakhan, they're going to suppress it in 2005 so it doesn't resurface until 2017. If you're Donald Trump, you should know in advance that if you have a dinner anywhere near Mr. Fuentes, that is lethal. And that's going to offend the five to eight percent independence that you need in addition to the mega base. So what I'm getting at is his agenda was what saved the Republican Party in 2016. And, And I think it had some four of the best years of governance in my lifetime, even perhaps better than Reagan. But Trump, because of his controversial nature, has to have absolute discipline given the forces arrayed against him. And at times, he either doesn't understand that or he has advisors that don't advise him. I don't know what it is, but the left is just waiting to pounce on everything he says. And unfairly so, but that doesn't change the reality that when they make these arguments against him, he gives them a slight opening and they exploit it. You look at the polls and you don't get that independent voter that's necessary to get up to 50, 51%. Because the MAGA base is rock solid, but it's about 40 to 45% of the voting public. And for him to win, and he's got to win because he's got to exercise more discipline. And I don't know where he gets that extra 5%. He's doing very well with Mexican-Americans, if he could get up to 50, 55 percent, and same with blacks, up to 20 percent, that it's out there somewhere, but he's got to find it and he's got to exercise discipline so they don't exploit what he says. And uh, I know they're going to try to do it anyway, but he can't give them any opening at this late date. He's got too many responsibilities. There's too many people counting on him that he, he can't make any strategic or even tactical lapses. Yeah, I, I the other day I I said that Ron DeSantis and uh, and Donald Trump have exactly opposite uh, issues. Uh, one has to control his personality, and the other has to to create and put a personality in front of the American people. If either is to be the nominee of the Republican Absolutely. Party, that's a good and, point. And, and and I you know I you know I I love President Trump. Uh, but I have to say, having Puentes uh, and and Ye uh, down for dinner at Mar-a-Lago, his advisors, whoever permitted that, uh, really, I, I would have them removed immediately. Uh, 
Oh, I he, would. I would. I would have he, had them fired. He, he should come out with a much stronger statement and say that he wants to apologize. And even though he didn't understand of the situation he was getting in, he should have understood because Flintus is an out and out anti-Semite and white supremacist and he pollutes everything he gets near. And I think you're right about DeSantis uh, and Trump. DeSantis, the mystery about him was not his competency governance, not his conservatism, but just two issues. One was, would he have the fire in the belly that Trump had? We knew he didn't have the charisma to get all along, but when he took on Disney and he bust the illegal immigrants and he, and he really took on the school boards, I think he showed everybody that he was not going to be a Romney-like figure, that he was a combative uh, conservative, which we needed. The other, only other issue that I see remaining with him is that, I don't know if you've noticed that, but a lot of the never-Trumper uh, large donors especially see DeSantis, not DeSantis himself, but they see him as entree back into the party as an alternative to Trump. And that's a little worrisome because I think they feel that they can influence DeSantis to tack back to the center and, and become a Bush and then they can rejoin the party and control it. And I think he has to be aware of, and that's a difficult position because they have so much money and they control the, the establishment on the conservative side, but at least some of them do. So I think that's the only mystery. Will, will DeSantis say, no, I'm a MAGA candidate. This is a populist nationalist party and I welcome you to support me, but I'm not going to change positions so that you, you're gonna get a Jeb Bush. And I think if he can, reassure people, then I think it's going to be a very close race between him and Trump. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I, this is going to be the challenge for both men uh, as they seek the nomination. Uh, the money is more complicated this time without, Absolutely. without question. I, I want to turn to it because you, you're talking about China uh, at the outset of this discussion. I, I see a collision that we are all witnessing this collision uh, between Elon Musk and the donor class, if you will, uh, the corporatists uh, and uh, the the globalist elites over the issue of free speech. And, and here we are with both uh, Elon Musk uh, dependent, all three of his companies are dependent in some way on China, and Tim Cook of Apple, He's almost entirely dependent on China for the production of his uh, his company's products. Uh, it, it, they're they're colliding over the issue of free speech. Musk has has certainly staked out the ground of free speech uh, for himself over Twitter. Where is this going to end? Because both men are are at risk. Uh, Musk is putting his entire fortune at risk by taking that position. Your thoughts uh, about the quality, the, the character, and the, and the conclusion of this collision? Yeah, I think ultimately uh, the left, again, I think the left looks at Twitter and they know what they did with Twitter and how it was used, i.e. as they used Google and Facebook, and they said to themselves, this guy is going to do what we would do if we, we were in his position. And that frightens us because he is going to, and he's not, he's going to open it up to everybody, but they don't believe that. They believe that he would be like they would if they were in that position. 
So they're going to try to destroy him. I don't know if they're going to be able to put him off the app in the way they destroyed Parler, because there is a how a Republican House that will have some investigatory ability to to call them in. But and they're a little tentative still. But any opportunity they can get to destroy Twitter or Elon Musk, they'll take. I just right now, I think they're they're putting out feelers and they're feints, and they're trying to see where the vulnerable spot is because uh, they're terrified that, uh, and, and he, I think Elon Musk is, a, we know now why he became so wealthy. He's got a, a low, I mean, a high cunning. He can understand human nature pretty well. And he knows that he's got a, a, a defined amount of time that he's going to be able to operate independently before these forces co collude against him and they're formidable they're even i know he's the richest man in the world but when you put google and apple and facebook and all of those silicon valley companies and nine trillion dollars of market capitalization against him uh and they have more they haven't even as much or more chinese in aggregate contacts than he does and they have more clout with the democratic controlling party than he does then he's got to do something. So I don't know if that's something it is. It might be just to have a huge document drop to show the world what they were doing. I think he will do that in the next couple of weeks and with the with the archives of Twitter and show that they were really fascistic in the way that they went after their political enemies and suppressed free expression. And he's going to have to be preemptory or they're going to destroy him. And I think they have the ability to destroy him, but he's very canny and that, that's what's reassuring about him. And, uh, there's something he, about a there's something about a guy who can land a rocket on its tail. Absolutely, that makes absolutely. me think uh, this is a fair fight. Uh, he uh, is a remarkable individual. We all knew that he was a genius, but as you say, his humanistic uh, comprehension, uh, his humanist uh, uh, comprehension is amazing. His uh, EIQ is, is uh, extraordinary. No, you're absolutely right. He makes something. I think everybody is so tired, especially after the Bankman Freed collapse, the Elizabeth Home Theranos collapse, uh, all of the silicon money built on tech. This guy actually goes out and he builds a car and makes it into the biggest car company in the world. And then he actually goes out and builds rockets that works after our failures for years of NASA. And there's something concrete, material, and real about what he does. It's not just cyber this or tech this out in space. You can see it, you can feel it, and it makes lives better for people. And I think everybody admires that about him. And I think they admire the hysteria that he incurs in the left. They're just scared of this guy. And I think part of their terror is that they've never faced somebody with that skill set or that formidable formidable intelligence and energy before and kind of off the wall unpredictability and i think they don't know what to do with him yeah, the 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 combination of disruptor and extraordinary creator and builder uh, is uh, a wonder to behold it's uh, he's really quite quite remarkable i think i think that this is, uh, it's going to be fascinating because all of these forces are coming together at one time. And Elon Musk, if not at the center of it, he's very near at the center of it uh, because of China, his involvement, his dependency, but also his amazing uh, breadth 
of talent uh, and scope to all of his achievements. It's going to be something to watch. As I might, uh, as I might be giving away, I'm uh, I'm pulling for him for uh, all the world, because I think it's he's he was admonished for saying that this is a a fight for civilization. I don't I, I don't think that's hyperbole in any way right now in this moment in which we find ourselves. I, I always give our guests the the last word, and I and I am never more uh, pleased to do so than uh, ask Victor Davis Hanson for the concluding thoughts for this episode. Well, I, I, I think we should we remain optimistic. And you mentioned that the Republicans got the greater popular vote in the midterms. And I think we look at what's happening in America is they control the institutions, corporate boardroom, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, entertainment, professional sports. But we are the people. And all we need is sort of an Elon Musk type of leader that gives us confidence and says, look, You've got to channel your natural majorities into effective governance. You don't have a margin of error because these people are serious revolutionaries. They have the money. It's not the Republicans on the Fortune 400 anymore. The top names are left wing and they give more money and the foundations are left wing. So you have formidable opposition, but their their agenda is contrary to nature. Yours isn't. It's it's practical. It's what human nature is. People break the law, they get punished. If you have a border, you enforce it. The nuclear family is the source of American stability. Uh, the entrepreneurial free market system is the only one that works. So we have the issues, we have the, the common sense, and I think eventually we'll get it right so that popular support is expressed in, in control of government and we have political power again. And we will... We will generate some enthusiasm on the part of the national uh, uh, yes. Republican leadership as well. Yes. Victor Davis Hanson, it is always a pleasure to talk with you, to listen to you, and to, to have you join us here on The Great America Show. Thanks so much, Victor. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks, everybody, for being with us for this edition of The Great America Show. Please follow me on Twitter and Truth Social at Lou Dobbs. That's at Lou Dobbs on Twitter and Truth Social. Our guest tomorrow is the New York Post terrific columnist Miranda Devine. We'll be taking up the attacks on the richest man in the world because Elon Musk insists on freedom of speech on Twitter. And, of course, the latest on the Hunter Biden laptop scandal and the likelihood of ever bringing the president's son to justice. Please join us here tomorrow. Till then, thank you and God bless you. And may God bless America. One. Two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.